Praise the Lord. You know, this, uh, these last few weeks I've been talking about the gospel of Christmas and three characteristics about the gospel of Christmas, one being hope, the other one being faith, and the last one being love. And today we're going to talk about faith. Last week I talked to you about hope, and I don't know if you remember the message. Sometimes we forget things very quickly, don't we? But we talked about a person named uh, Simeon. And Simeon was an older gentleman and uh, in the temple, and he's somebody that we don't usually remember in the Christmas story. We don't have any songs about him, but he was a man of hope. He was waiting for God to send his son, the Messiah. And then when the child was born and they dedicated Jesus in the temple, Simeon recognized him immediately through the power of the Holy Spirit and then spoke some prophetic words over that child. Simeon had held on to hope all those years, and then it had been fulfilled just as he had been taught and told. Now, we're talking about faith today. And uh, faith is, is something that a lot of times we can't understand or grasp. And so I want to focus in on faith today because I think it's so important for us to understand. If we're going to walk in faith as believers in Jesus Christ, what does that mean? Well, you know, I tell you that God is after a relationship with you and I. And it's a relationship that is really built on those characteristics, hope, faith, and love. And faith is a critical component of that relationship. Faith is uh, something that we have to understand and have to apply in our lives. And if we don't do that on a regular basis, we can actually shrivel up in our Christian life and not really experience the presence and the power of God in our lives. But you see, God is after this relationship with us. You know, I was having my grandchildren over this week, this weekend, and uh, we were thinking about the presents that we wanted to give them for Christmas, and so uh, we did a search on Amazon or on the computer, you know, what, what do you guys like, you know? And it would be something if my grandkids would only come in and say, Grandpa, what am I going to get for Christmas? But they didn't do that, you know. But if they did that, what type of relationship would we have if they were always asking me for things, but only to get what I could give them? That wouldn't be a very healthy relationship because they asked me, one of my oldest grandchild said, Grandpa, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, I just want to be with you, really. I mean, what can he, I, I really don't need anything. What, and you know what he said to me? He said, you know, adults who say that to me, I just give them a card. <laughs> and, you know, I said, well, the really reason I, want it, I said that to you is because I really mean it. I just want to be with you. And that's the really the, the attitude that God has for us. He really wants to be with us. He really wants to have a relationship with us. But that type of relationship comes through faith. And so when we're looking at these, what the Bible says about faith, we turn to a very familiar passage. And it's in Hebrews chapter 11, 1. It's the definition of faith. You know, there is a definition in the Bible of faith. And it says this. Now, faith is, I mean, that's a clear definition, confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Now look at that verse there. What faith is. First of all, present tense. 
faith is. Hope is future tense. Faith is now, today. Faith is confidence. Confidence is something that we're confident of knowing something that we're hoping for. So it includes hope, but it's a confident hope. It's not like a, like a feeling like, oh, this is never going to happen. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, something that God has promised us personally or in his word. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, and it's an assurance. It's an assurance about what we don't see. I don't know if you've ever taken a plane ride for a long distance, but I do this. I, I go to Australia sometimes, and you guys know that. But there's a time when you get in the plane, and it's after about four hours or five hours, they close all the shades in the plane. You know, everything, everything goes dark. And you're right, and you're flying in this thing. And, and after about seven or eight hours, it's a 16-hour trip to Hong Kong. So after about eight hours, you know, you're like getting irritated. I mean, I am getting irritated. I'm, I'm like, like claustrophobic. You know, you're in this thing, and you're in this tube, but you know... But the thing is, you see, I've done it before, so I have a confidence and I have an assurance that after 16 hours, I'm going to land somewhere and get in the plane for another eight hours. And so, but then I get in that second plane, but I know, even though there might be some turbulence on the plane, even though there might be uh, darkness all around me, even though I can't see where we're going, I know we're going to arrive at the destination. I just have faith and confidence in that. It's a similar way with the things of God. When you begin to walk with Jesus, when you begin to place your life in his hands, you begin to see a pattern of how God has been with you through the most difficult things in your life, through the turbulence, through the suffering. And this is why the apostle wrote this in the book of Hebrews. He said, now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the insurance about what we do not see. The reason he said this was because if you flip back one page into chapter 10 and you look at the end of it right before he says this, he's talking to some people that are giving up on their faith. They're people that have been frustrated. They feel like they've been stuck. They feel like they, they've been sold a bill of goods that... They didn't really sign up for this thing. When I said I was going to follow Jesus, I thought my life was going to be great. I thought it was going to be just everything that God had promised. And the writer of Hebrews is saying it is, but it's so much more than that. And so he says, remember those early days? And these were people that had seen the resurrection, had followed Jesus. He said, remember those early days after you'd received the light? They knew Jesus had been resurrected. When you endured a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. And other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. And so they had been going through this persecution in these difficult times. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. People took your home. And yet you didn't give up. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. These people understood that this life was not everything in their whole life. They had better lasting possessions. The tense of that verb there is a 
past perfect tense. It is a tense that says, I have it, I know it, and it's mine. And what were they talking about? They were talking about heaven. They were talking about all the promises that, there, that were theirs in heaven. And so when things on earth got difficult, they looked to what God had promised them. And it was their possession in heaven. And so then he says, so don't throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. So he's telling them, look at, have the confidence and assurance of what you're hoping for because God has promised it. But we did, and, he, and he said, don't shrink back in your faith. Don't give up. We, are not, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and are saved. And so then he says, now faith is the confidence of things we hope for, the assurance of things we don't see. Now, how do you get that type of faith? Well, you know, if you look at the Christmas story, you'll see that throughout the Christmas story, you have people of faith that walk in faith, that experience faith. And they do this as they interact with God. You know, another scripture in the Bible that talks about faith is we live by faith, not by sight. So if you only believe in the things that you can see, touch with the natural senses, you're not going to have much faith. Because faith goes beyond that. Biblical faith is faith in the things that we don't see, but we understand them through the Holy Spirit. Now that's, that's wonderful evidence when that happens in your life. And that's how you grow in your faith. It's not a blind faith, but it's a faith in the promises of God. It's faith in what the Holy Spirit is revealing to you, and you take those steps. So when we look at the uh, Christmas story, we see this first guy, contrast of faith, Zechariah doubts the message. And we're all a mixture of that. Sometimes we doubt what God has said. Sometimes we fear what God has said. And sometimes we embrace what God has said. And I'm going to show you a few people here in the, in the Christmas story. One of them was Zechariah. He doubted the message. Zechariah asked the, Zechariah goes into the temple. Zechariah is John the Baptist's father. Okay, so John the Baptist is a key uh, person in Jesus' coming. He's the forerunner. He's the one that is going to tell people that the Messiah is coming when he grows up. So he's got to be born, and it's a miracle birth. Zechariah has not been able to have a child. He's been barren for many, many years, but God has promised him somehow God was going to give him a child, or so he thought, and then his child, the child never came. The couple got old. They were past childbearing age, and then this angel shows up in the temple while he's burning incense to God in a temple, and an angel stands there and he says, Zechariah, you're going to have a child. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah doubts what God has said. He's looking at the past disappointments of how so many times he had prayed about something and it didn't come to pass. And so his faith is shrinking. And then this angel shows up because God loves him and has a purpose and a plan for him. So the message comes, and then Zechariah has to decide what he, what he believes. And he doubts. 
We know that he doubts because the next thing that the angel does is says, Zechariah, because you've doubted this message, you're not going to be able to speak until you have that child. I think this is sort of a discipline, but it's also a compassion. He didn't say, oh, because you didn't believe. Okay, no children for you. We'll go to somebody else. Next in line. No, God doesn't do that. See, he wants this relationship with us, so then Zechariah can't speak, so that's a sign. Whoa, God is, God's really up to something. And so he, go, you know, he lives like that for at least nine months. He can't speak. And so Zechariah comes to believe what has happened, and God gives him that child. And so the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you about this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which came true at their appointed time. They'll come true. So Zechariah has this struggle. Do you ever have that struggle? I do. Sometimes you're not sure, did God, did God really say that? Am I going to believe this? Am I trusting God as I pray for something, some situation? I want to tell you this uh, past week, some of you have known this. I got a blood result that came back. It was a very uh, indicator that I had cancer. Um, and so I, many of you were praying for me. getting kind of emotional now because it, it hasn't really hit me. So, um, so the doctor calls on Friday. And I had a biopsy. I had uh, a biopsy. And um, I had a biopsy on Monday. And so I didn't think the biopsy was coming back till this next Monday. And uh, the doctor just calls me up on the phone. He says, uh, Mr. Warren. He says, uh, Mr. Warren, all the tests came back negative. You do not have cancer. And I said, yes! <laughs> Praise God. But you know, one of the things that I did, I wasn't sure if God had healed me or hadn't healed me. And there's some times in your life when you're going to just have to, but you know what I did? I surrendered. You have to surrender those things to the Lord. And you have to get tested and you have to go to the doctors and you have to get the report back and so that you can do what you're supposed to do. I didn't think that I wasn't supposed to go to the doctor. I was supposed to go to the doctor and to follow through on it. And uh, I had my children praying for me. I had some pastors praying for me. I had gone forward and got anointed with oil uh, twice this past fall. And... Um, I praise God that he is able to still heal today. So, you know, there's times in our lives when God is calling us to trust him in a physical healing. Uh, and, and God wants to touch us. And he does want to work in our lives. And I, I just encourage you to be open to that. Elizabeth. How did Elizabeth react? That's Zachariah's wife. Well, she embraces the message. You know, she's, she embraces the message. Luke one twenty five says, The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he's shown his favor, taken away my disgrace among the people. She was pregnant. 
She was able to conceive, and she thanked God for this. Zechariah doubted. Elizabeth rejoiced in it. And so much so that uh, when she continues on, and, and she, she is so thankful for what God has done in her life. And then we come to Mary. Mary's astonished, overwhelmed by the message. How does Mary react to this? Here she's probably 16 years of age. Do you think about that? Mary is only 16. Anybody 16 here? Raise your hand if you're 16. All right, so, uh, not you, bro. You wish you were 16. Yeah. Mary's astonished, overwhelmed by the message. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? This is, she's engaged to be married. At that, uh, those days, uh, a woman would marry at the age even of 13 or 14. So Mary's engaged to be married. And then she says, I'm a virgin. How could, and the angel's saying, you're going to have a child. And this child is going to come from God. He's going to be the Messiah. The Holy, and, how, and she says, how can this be? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So she's talking about her aunt Elizabeth that is going to be having a child. So God is orchestrating this whole plan to send his son. But what's even more amazing than the virgin birth, and that is a miracle, but what's even more amazing is that God the Son would, he's the creator of the whole universe, he would actually come and place himself within a woman, be born inside, go through the birth canal, be vulnerable to all the things around us, diseases and all those things. Cut his teeth. You know, he had to, the Son of God had to teeth his teeth. You know, some of you young children, you know, that's, that's not the most pleasant thing when your children's teeth are coming in. They cry all the time. The other thing is he had to grow up. He had to learn how to walk. This is the Son of God who created the entire universe. He had to learn how to walk. Think about that. And then he had to become an adolescent. He had to go through all the things of, that young people go through. That's why the Bible says Jesus is able to empathize with you through every situation that you're going through because he suffered as you do, yet without sin. And then he, he goes through all that, and then he waits 30 years. He has to start a career. He's working. And then for 30 years, Jesus understands what human life is like. And then in his 30th year, he starts his public ministry. And within three years, he finishes that, is crucified, dies on the cross. And then three days later, he resurrects. And that is the power of Jesus' life. But the miracle... It is a miracle. The virgin birth is a miracle. But what's more of a miracle is that God would show his love towards us 
and come to earth and live that life so that he could die on the cross to take away our sins. That is the power of the gospel. And not only stay, not only go to the cross and die, but then to resurrect. Peter Larson says, despite our efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no exit, and he left through a door marked uh, uh, no entrance. He, he entered the world through a, a door marked no entrance, and he left the world with a door marked no exit. Jesus does the impossible, is born for us, so that he could be the savior of the world. So how does Mary take this news? She's, she plays the, one of the most important parts in the, uh, the story of Christmas and in the gospel. How does Mary take this, this news? The angel says, the last thing he says to her, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. There's another faith verse. You want to memorize one about faith? Nothing is impossible with, with God. And then she simply says this, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. Nothing is impossible. So Mary comes to that place of seeking God, of surrendering her life, and then she gives her life and her body and her life and her future into God's hands. Same thing happens with you and I when we come against an impasse in our life. What God really wants is a willing, surrendered life. He wants that relationship with us. And Mary said something very important. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. Number one, I'm, I'm his servant. The other one is, Lord, whatever your will is, you can do it. Two very important things for faith to surrender willingly to what God wants to do in our lives. So Mary leaves that place and then her, you know, she takes what the angel has said. She runs back to Elizabeth's place where Mary's heard the, when, Mary, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So here's this two pregnant women and, and Elizabeth is six months along, and then when Mary walks in the door, the baby does one of these, you know, jumping jacks, like this, you know, boom. I don't know, I've never experienced that, ladies, but I've seen it happen in my wife sometimes. You know, the hand just seems almost like punch out of the skin or the foot. And this is what happened. This is, this is like, she said, but the baby leapt in my womb, I know. And then she was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to praise God for what God was doing. Elizabeth had tremendous faith. So did Mary. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord would fulfill, that, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Blessed is this woman. And Mary was so. She believed what God had said. See, Corey Ten Boom said this. Corey Ten Boom was somebody who lived in the concentration camp in Germany in World War II. She lost all of her family. Her father was killed. Her sister was killed in the concentration camp. 
Faith is not just an attitude, it must be applied to our life, is what Corey Ten Boom said. It's not just an attitude, a thought, it has to be applied to our life, in our situation, in our life. God wants us to apply faith. Faith that is full of hope and confident in what God can do. Faith that has an assurance of what we don't even see. That's the kind of faith that God wants us to walk in. For nothing is impossible with God. This is what Mary said. She, she understood nothing is impossible with God, so okay. God, if this is what you're going to do, I'll be part of your plan. And that's really what faith is, is when you decide to say, God, I am willing to be a part of your plan, whatever it is. I'm willing to do that. That's the beginning step of faith. That's when God begins and he's delighted in that. You know, it's okay to ask God for things when things go wrong. But if that's all we do, then it's like a grandchild who just comes up to you and says, Hey, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? That's not a very good relationship. Or with a, a son or a daughter that just says, Can I have this? Can I have this? And you don't ever have a conversation or a hug or a sense of that we're family. That's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to let us know that we're family. Leonard Bernstein was a composer, American composer. And uh, he uh, wrote West Side Story. You probably know that one, right? And so he was a, a great composer, and he asked, somebody asked him this question, what is the hardest instrument to play? What is the hardest instrument to play? And it's interesting what he said. Uh, without a moment's hesitation, he replied, second fiddle. Yeah. I can always get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn, or second flute, now that's a problem. And yet if no one plays second, then we have no harmony. Isn't that interesting? I would have thought he was going to say some Chinese instrument, you know, what do they call that one? I thought he was going to, you know, something like the violin or something, but he said that's the second fiddle. It's the person that has to play alongside the others and blend in with the others to make a beautiful song. In a beautiful harmony. And that's the same way it is with us. Musically and spiritually speaking, our life with God is not to be sung as a solo. We don't sing a solo. You see, Mary had to go back to Joseph, explain things to Joseph. And then God had to explain things to Joseph. And Elizabeth. And they had to... See, this, God was orchestrating his people all together. You can't live the Christian life as a solo person, just fly, fly, flying solo with yourself and just say, okay, it's just me and God. No. He wants you to blend in with other people and work with other people to do things that you could never do alone. That's one of the reasons why we even go to the Huntington Hills Nursing Home is because it's beautiful. I mean, I heard people playing. I mean, they sound really good. Our, 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 <laughs> You're going to enjoy it today. You're really going to enjoy it. And I know the, the residents there are going to enjoy it. But there's the, if, when you listen to the music, it blends together. 
We have all different kinds of instruments blending together. Walking by faith is just not a solo act. It's when we work together. You see, if you just have faith in yourself, you know, and that's a big theme today is just believe in yourself. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is believe in God who can do the impossible in you and through you with other people to help you. Is it hard to walk by faith? Yes, it is. The Bible even says <clears throat> to fight the good fight of faith. faith. Faith can be a fight. Faith takes effort. To walk by faith takes a willingness to pursue after God. And sometimes your faith is going to be tested. Your faith will be tested by things in this world that are difficult. There is a uh, former Surgeon General named uh, Dr. Uh, Everett Koop, and uh, he since has passed away. But he told, uh, he was a former Surgeon General of the United States and a vocal opponent of, of abortion on demand. And he tells of a family when he was giving a talk one time, a pro-life talk one time, he was talking about a family whose severely handicapped child he delivered and helped to keep alive after birth. He writes, I asked the child's mother, what's the worst thing that has ever happened to you? And she said, having our son Paul born with defects that required 37 operations to correct. And then he asked, what's the best thing that ever happened to you? And she said, having our son Paul born with defects that required 37 operations to correct. And then Coop goes on to explain, I know what she means. It's been terribly hard on them, but through the experience, they've grown enormously as a family. They've had a remarkable spiritual reawakening. One of their sons is now in law school planning to defend the rights of the handicapped. Paul has now had 55 operations with one more schedule. Despite the hardships, it's an overwhelming positive experience for them. This is a contrast of real faith. Of a parent willingly surrendering to God's plan. It presents a paradigm of a kind of Servant like Mary was, that she said, Lord, whatever it is, I'm your servant. Do whatever you have to do. May it be to me as you have said. You know, as we think about our life of faith, you know, Mary and Elizabeth, they were used by God to usher in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, changed history forever, changed eternity forever. What about you and I? What would our faith do? Would our faith and the way we act out our lives, will it influence the second coming of Christ? Well, it might, and it might not. But I'll tell you what it will influence. It'll influence all the people around you that know you your family, your children, the people around your life. If you walk by faith, if you have this relationship 
with God that says, in your lifetime, in your life, the way that you handle things, you willingly surrender them to God, and then you walk with a greater confidence and a greater assurance, even though you don't see things, that says something tremendously to people. That says something that you're trusting in God, a God who is alive, who is real. And even if the worst thing happens, like what happened to some of those people in the book of Hebrews, that they're, they're placed, you know, some of them were thrown in prison. They continued on in their faith. And today, they're in the presence of God. It's the evidence of things we can't see. That's what faith is. Luke 137 says, For nothing is impossible with God. It's just not, not nothing is impossible. Nothing's impossible if God is in it. And the Bible says that if we are believers in Jesus Christ, He's in us. And He can do amazing things in our lives if we surrender to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word to us today. Lord, we ask that your spirit would be at work in our lives to teach us what it means to walk by faith. What does it mean, Lord, for us to walk by faith as a church? What does it mean for us to walk by faith and grow in our confidence and assurance of your presence and power in our lives? Lord, we ask that you teach us to walk by faith more and more. Lord, that we would uh, keep in step with your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.